Support for this podcast is provided by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is committed to preserving and expanding educational opportunity for today's students, now more than ever. Welcome to The Key with IHE. I'm Paul Fain, the host, transmitting to your home from my basement in Washington, D.C. Hope you all are doing well. In this episode, the first on The Key, we're discussing the nearly $6.3 billion Congress appropriated as emergency aid for college students whose lives and educations have been disrupted by the coronavirus pandemic. For context, that amount is nearly a quarter of what the federal government spends on Pell Grants each year. The Education Department began distributing the aid to colleges on April 9th. College officials right now are scrambling to figure out how and to whom to distribute the aid and how to do it very quickly. To help us make sense of this fast-moving story, I spoke with David Bame, the American Association of Community Colleges Senior Vice President for Government Relations and Policy Analysis, who has been tracking the policy issues around the AIDS distribution. I also interviewed Amelia Parnell, Vice President for Research and Policy at NASPA, Student Affairs and Higher Education. Dr. Parnell is an expert on student success who has written about emergency aid since the practice first emerged a few years ago. Now on to the conversation. David Baim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So $14 billion for higher education, roughly $6.26 billion last week targeted to students through emergency aid. Uh, obviously, that's, that's a lot of money and, and trying to, to deal with a lot of need out there. What do you see as the kind of overarching goal that Congress wanted to, to serve with that first allotment for emergency aid and, and, and how do you see colleges starting to use it? Yeah, well, as listeners will know, the first portion of the higher education emergency fund is now available to institutions to provide directly to their students. The institutions have responded very quickly in developing policies for disseminating the money, although they do have a year to allocate it to their students. And at this point, there are a lot of conversations occurring both within the colleges and between the colleges about you know, how to best meet the needs of, of students. I think you know, Congress, when they provided these funds, was very much focused on the plight of students who've had their economic lives um, upended as well as their family lives change very much. And of course, community colleges have the highest percentage of students uh, in any sector who are working. And so the employment situation impacts uh, the community colleges uh, disproportionately. And you know, our students in many cases are the workers in the service industries in, uh, that have lost their uh, positions you know, within the last few weeks. And so I think Congress was aware of that, um, appropriately placed a strong emphasis on uh, financial assistance um, for students. And also I think very wisely provided a substantial degree of flexibility uh, to campuses in determining uh, which students and which amount students uh, should receive under the emergency uh, grant portion of the formula grants. So what are some of the questions? I know this is a lot of money and a lot of complexity here, but what are some of the questions you're hearing most from your members about what they need to know to, to begin getting that money into the hands of students who need it most? The Secretary DeVos's guidance to institutions did talk about allocating the funds on the basis of uh, financial need of students. 
recommended providing funding that uh, didn't exceed the current Pell Grant maximum. So that gives colleges a little bit of a, some guideposts of ways to think about allocating the money. The element of financial need, however, and allocating along those lines does um, come into some conflict with trying to distribute funds as quickly as possible and efficiently without going through a, a kind of a fine-grained student-by-student analysis of where students are as a result of you know, the radical changes in the economy and again in, in their own personal um, situations. So I think one of the, the issues that colleges are confronting is, do I try to sift through the entire student body or at least make an attempt to try to prioritize in terms of student financial um, need solely or primarily, or do I look more across the board into certain categories of students and uh, provide more blanket kinds of um, aid amounts to students as, as, as we do this. And also, of course, a whole nother set of questions is, is uh, setting aside the whole financial perspective is which types of programs students should receive assistance for and which even categories of students themselves. Should it be non-credit students, which we believe can be served with this funding, which is a high priority of community colleges and a big part of what our, our institutions do and uh, other students as well. Is there a, a general consensus on that? Are some of those tough questions, or are you hearing a wide range of takes from community colleges and systems out there? Um, I think that at this point, there's a, a sense that the federal government really wants institutions to use their best um, judgment about who is most in need of support. And so I think that colleges are thinking that they are going to be hacked by the government, whatever decisions they make. And so I think they're being more, more ambitious maybe and more feeling less the um, specter of a um, uh, being uh, you know, held uh, in some way sanctioned for making misjudgments about their use of the funds. I would think on those campuses, it wasn't like they had a lot of resources to burn the administrative piece of doing this. It's just got to be an enormous challenge. And we're talking days and weeks here to try to get the money out, correct? Yeah, the, the colleges felt a tremendous interest and, and, and enthusiasm about making these funds available um, to their students, but also the guidance that the department provided did recommend that institutions think about the fact that there are gonna be students who are gonna be impacted you know, by the pandemic in the weeks and months to come, and that hopefully students will stay enrolled. After all, that's the uh, reason to be providing the, the support in the first place. And so the, the institutions need to do some planning about allocating these funds you know, over time and not just making all of it available immediately. Of course, we're very much hoping that there will be additional assistance provided. We're advocating for that. But in the meantime, there needs to be you know, a, a little bit of, of foresight about how these funds might roll off, roll out, excuse me, over time. You know, I know states are requesting a lot of assistance right now. I know there's talk about a jobs bill, a lot, lot of action on Capitol Hill. W what do you think the odds are of more aid specifically targeted to students through emergency aid? Is that something that you seem likely to come to be to be more coming? I think there's I think there's pretty good support for it. I think that Congress has made it clear 
that they don't simply want to support institutions as essential as institutions are and as as true as it is that if you don't have an institution a college to offer programs to students then you don't have any students uh, but i think the congress is also as i mentioned you know very much making student needs a priority congress is also concerned about of course former students who have student debts and what current economic situation means for them so i ex i expect the congress will provide additional support for institutions because the case for it is so compelling. But I also think in the process of doing that, that they are gonna to wanna to continue making sure that students can, um, can finance their educations. And then of course, from the community college perspective, um, we are um, asking the uh, co Congress to provide support for job training uh, programs to help address the inevitable um, need on both the part of employers and people who've lost their jobs to get new skill sets in order to reintegrate into the economy. Of course, it's impossible to tell at this early point, you know, how things are going to be different, but essentially everybody who takes a look at what's happened over just the last month in terms of the job situation expects that we will have a very different a type of, of economy, certainly many different businesses operating in different ways when we come out of the, the end of this of this pandemic. And of course, as we all know, unfortunately, this is not going to be over in a very short order. You can guess about how long, but that you know, there, there are going to be changes in behaviors that are going to be occurring over a number of months. Absolutely. Well, David, uh, thank you very much for taking time. I know time is hard to find these days, so uh, much appreciated uh, that you, you took some to talk to us and our listeners and uh, keep in touch. Thanks again, Paul. Be well. All right. Next up, Amelia Parnell. Please stay tuned. I'm here with Amelia Parnell. Dr. Parnell, thanks so much for your time. Sure. So you've been studying emergency aid for a while. Can you, can you talk about how the practice kind of evolved, where things stand, um, how the industry um, really came to use emergency aid, and, and kind of at what scale? Sure. I, I would say that the good news amid all of these challenging issues is that emergency aid is a topic that many campuses have been addressing for years. And so NASPA kind of got into the conversation around 2016 when we did a landscape analysis and found about 500 campuses based on a simple definition um, that said that they actually provide some type of emergency aid. And so from there, there have been a lot of other researchers, a lot of other um, scholars who've written about it, a lot of other campuses that have start, tried to actually deploy these resources. And so I, I, I'd lightly say good news in that kind of the curtain got pulled back. Um, what used to be a, a practice that probably wasn't as well communicated or advertised for a lot of different reasons now is kind of commonplace. It's not uncommon to have a campus say that they provide those resources. So that's actually good. I think that what we surfaced four years ago are some of the same challenges that we would probably see some campuses today experience, which is that the need probably still outpaces the supply of aid available. And I think there are still some challenges around um, definitions for those who want those to describe what actually counts as an emergency now. What does um, count as emergency aid generally? I think while there's no central definition, most campuses would say that if a student is experiencing something that's largely going to impact or impede their ability to continue on at the campus, it's worth a discussion. Now, I think the, the framing around if a student lost their cell phone versus if they didn't have food, that's an easy one. Um, some would say, what's a short-term emergency versus something that's more persistent or long-term? But the bottom line is, in these current times, if it's something that's significantly impeding a student's ability to persist, we would say that's worth the conversation about emergency aid. What are some of the, the dollar amounts that you, you see most common? I mean, I think the department put a 
recommended cap on the, the Pell, mm -hmm. um, uh, which would be a large amount of emergency aid relatively. Right. But what, you know, I know that can be, you know, just a few hundred dollars, the difference mm -hmm. between a student stopping out or not. Oh, absolutely. I'd say that based on the research I've seen, even up to today, most campuses would probably say it falls in the range of somewhere around a few hundred dollars. I don't know that I've seen very many that exceed about a thousand or fifteen hundred. Um, but depending on the emergency, it could get to be that much. But on, on most occasions, it's usually somewhere around four or five hundred dollars. So this is a different a different situation for, for everybody in every way. Um, you've got more than $6 billion from the feds, uh, a burning need to distribute it quickly to students, um, institutions scrambling to do it. What, do you, what are you hearing from the field? Uh, I know we're talking about in the last week too, so I know this is just happening now. Yeah, uh, I think we're hearing the same types of emergency needs. Many of them relate to personal things, uh, food, shelter. Um, there are a lot of students who had to be um, displaced from the residence hall and not all of them had a, a solid place to go back and call home or a place they can live until their campus returns to an in-person type operation. So temporary displacement, that could be a type of need. Many students who are now living in spaces that are more remote and don't have Wi-Fi access or access to stable internet, those are concerns. And um, they might not seem immediately like an emergency, but they are because if you can't get access to your courses, you can't take the classes, um, that of course would hinder your ability to progress in the major. So a lot of those areas, I would say, um, within the probably two weeks, so before a lot of this happened and students were actually still leaving the campuses, a lot of campuses were providing emergency aid resources like flights home, um, ability to get students from the campus to another location. So I think it kind of covers a range of, of issues and types of items that students would need, but those would probably be close to the top. Yeah, you know, when you, you talk about helping students get home. Um, mm -hmm. I know there's been a lot of debate about whether or not colleges can use the, this new allocation from the feds to reimburse some of those previously, uh, those previous expenditures. As colleges are scrambling to make these decisions to determine who, who should get aid and whether they can count some of that previous ex, uh, allocations, what do, you, what do you recommend? I mean, and what are you hearing as well? Those are tough decisions. That, that is a tough decision. And I don't know that I've heard very many campuses say that they're looking to get the aid to kind of reimburse themselves for what they've already spent. Um, but I do think that this probably is a case of the overall financial picture for most campuses. Some campuses that had the resources on hand and could do that might not pursue that because they actually are not as, as much in a dire situation as some campuses that really are gonna be facing some really tough challenges financially. So I don't know that it's a question of uh, should you or should you not, but I think instead it's probably a matter of looking at all the variables of how you might disperse the aid for the long term, knowing that none of us really um, are sure about when campuses will come back online, if it'll be sometime in the fall or some point later. Um, if it were me, I might not use all of the, the resources to reimburse um, expenses already made, but instead to look forward and say how many students going Board, uh, might still be in an emergency condition, how might we serve them um, for the longer term? It, it all makes sense. You know, I, I wonder about it, it, trying to make a decision quickly while also thinking about the long term. Not easy, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. for, you know, community colleges and other resource-starved institutions. And everybody's struggling with resources now. Um, how do you balance that, the kind of short-term need to get aid out quickly versus yeah. being really strategic? 
Oh yeah, in that case, let me let me clarify my, my previous uh, remark. When I say longer term, I don't mean months. I mean I mean uh, not worrying about uh, reimbursing the dollars already spent, but instead thinking about the students who will need something in the next few weeks, which yeah. feels like a longer term. Okay. Certainly wouldn't suggest that any campus keep their resources on hand for months ahead because that's just too long. I think what we've seen from most of the campuses we've talked to in ASPA is that they've said that they've been able to get the A out quickly, and that's most essential. So I would say if if we know that there, there will be some students probably in the next two weeks that need aid, definitely I would be looking forward as opposed to trying to reimburse um, you know, expenses from the campus. Now, I don't wanna make any of my campus friends uh, angry that would say, hey, we, you know, we spend a lot of money, we need to get some of that back. But I think knowing that we have so much uncertainty and that the longer students are away from campus and still living in, a, in an environment that's very different, those who have the most need will continue to have um, some challenges. And I think that campuses thinking very proactively about that would serve them well. As an expert who studied emergency aid for a while, any uh, best practices or specific institutions that do pretty interesting things you might encourage folks to look at in these challenging mm -hmm. times? Well, one of my favorites is still St. John's University. And I think their ability to do this, um, speaking of timing, is a, is a great example. So they had a huge, I mean, a huge amount of demand for emergency aid, and they were able to mobilize resources and get a lot of contributions and some significant organization and turn most of those requests for emergency aid around within 48 hours. And so I don't know that that's, I mean, that's a pretty high bar, but I would say a lot of other campuses, if they have the capacity to, even in, in strained conditions, to turn around, um, by turn around, I mean, um, fulfill an emergency aid request quickly, that is tremendous for a student who's out there, you know, really, really struggling. I say the second, which is probably a little bit more strategic, but so very important is communication um, is critical. You know, knowing that students can't physically be there to knock on someone's door, or in most cases, pick up the phone and call someone, might get some automated messages. The extent to which campuses can make the process clear and the parameters around what they have to do um, very, very um, clearly understood would be fantastic for students. So there are a lot of best practices, I think, that we would probably highlight from 2016, the use of technology, communication, adequate fundraising and things like that. But the two, to me, that I think still rise to the top in this current situation would be the timing of the aid and um, getting it out as smoothly and quickly as possible. And the second, communicating well what needs to be done and who to reach out to. Timing has changed for everybody these days. Planning in months is impossible, as you, as you said yeah. earlier. Um, well, uh, Dr. Parnell, I've learned a lot here. Uh, I hope it's really helpful for our readers as well. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That's a wrap for episode one of The Key. Hope you'll join us next time as we discuss a federal jobs bill and what that might mean for post-secondary education. Catch you next time. Support for this podcast is provided by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is committed to preserving and expanding educational opportunity for today's students, now more than ever.